it's not my, it's not my purpose to ever make you, uh, make you have doubts. But you know what? <clears throat> we need to answer those doubts. Now, the only way you're going to answer those doubts is for you to have truth that you can actually back it up with. It's not enough for you to kind of whiffle dust over the hard stuff, isn't it? You just press the I believe button, then you kind of believe, uh, even though you're not really sure. Uh, that's not enough. And some things you actually need to work it out. You need to come to the place uh, where you work it out, where it's real and it's true for you. Now, let me say this to you. Always, there's going to be a place where you make a decision of faith. Always. There's going to be sufficient ground, if you want to, for you to doubt. And there's going to be that place where you can say, yes, Lord, I believe. And when you believe what you're going to find, it, you're going to find out that it's true. But your, your, your faith can't be based on, well, you know what? Uh, I've seen this story over and over again. I mean, it's just uh, been part of my life. There's got to be a reality to it uh, for you. There's got to be a truth behind it. You've got to come to the place where you can rest in this thing. Because it's, it's as supernatural, it's as out of the ordinary, it's as humanly unexplainable a story as you're ever going to find anywhere. So that's a word of prayer. We'll dig into it. Father, would you bless us now, Lord? Help us as we look to you uh, today. Lord, <clears throat> we thank you for the birth of a baby. And Lord, uh, our, our spirits bear witness. Uh, your spirit bears witness with our spirit that it's all true. But Lord, there are those here that question it from time to time. Lord, may the questions be answered. May they be drawn to the place Lord, where they see the reality that the babe in a manger was indeed the living God. And Lord, that we are saved by the work that babe did. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, In the 90s, there was a guy in America that created quite a a stir. His name was Tom Flynn. And Tom Flynn was a, he he was a, a secular humanist. Did not believe in anything supernatural at all. Uh, did not believe uh, things like that happened. And when it came to Christmas, it just irked him. It just bothered him. It bothered him that uh, the whole nation uh, went after this idea of the baby in a manger and, and believed in it. And um, so, so he wrote a book. Uh, he, got, he got on radio shows and, and TV shows. And he became known as the Anti-Clause. Right? The Anti-Clause. The guy that wanted to spoil Christmas and so on. But he made one statement that really rings true for us, right? He said this, he said, if Jesus is not your savior, then Christmas is not your holiday. If Jesus is not your savior, Christmas is not your holiday. Now, what's the problem with Christmas? The problem with Christmas is everybody observes Christmas. It's a great time. Everybody has a great time over Christmas. Everybody, listen, you may have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, but you know what? Christmas is a great time. And, uh, you know, you, you listen to a lot of the stories, you listen to uh, a lot of what goes on over Christmas, and really God has nothing to do with any of it. It's just people having a good old time and enjoying themselves. So you can, you can go through Christmas, and people will even include something like, you know, the baby in a manger, and kind of, that's cute, that's fun. Uh, and they'll hear the carols, they're cute, and they're fun, and all the rest, because it's all part of the Christmas thing. But they'll miss the fact, no, you know what, this is speaking of a great truth. This is speaking of a deep truth. Now, you know, it, it, it may well be that Jesus was not born on, on, on Christmas Day. Some, some would actually make a case that he wasn't. Uh, but that doesn't matter. What matters is the story is true. What matters is that when the, when the, when the uh, <clears throat> recorders of the gospel actually recorded it, they, they were laying down truth that they knew to be true. But it needs to be true for us, too. This is not one of those things that you can have a doubt in your mind about. You have to come to the place where you actually accept, yeah, this is real. Now, uh, 
Now, we don't see miracles like that, do we? In fact, we see babies born. There are 353,000 babies born every day. That's a fascinating figure, isn't it? 353,000 babies born every day. Now, back when Jesus was born, there wouldn't have been that many babies born. Uh, The world was a much smaller population. But one of those babies, one of the thousands of babies that was born on the day that Jesus was born was no ordinary baby. One of the thousands of babies that was born uh, was born to a virgin, uh, was placed in a manger, and he was God. You know, they didn't come and worship him for the God he would become. Uh, I heard somebody say uh, recently that um, God sent his Holy Spirit and Jesus became God. No, he didn't. He was God always. He was God in the manger, and he never stopped being God. And that's what's hard for us to get our heads around. Because we're looking at the reality of this baby uh, uh, who was actually God. And uh, as we look at it, we need to get uh, our minds around it. Now, John's question is good. Are you the one? Is, is, is he the one? Go and ask him, is he the one? Let me ask you this morning, is he the one? Is he the one? Not because you go to a church, not because you're in a program, not because you were raised that way, but is he the one? This is actually integral. To be honest with you, there's a very, very personal element of this. You know, we follow the crowd naturally. That's just who we are. We're social creatures. We follow the crowd. So, you know, this can be our crowd. And because this is our crowd, we, <clears throat> what we do is uh, we, say, we, we accept. But is he the one? You see, if he's the one, everything else changes. If he's the one, then it, it impacts every area of your life. If that baby in that manger was fully God, then it has to change your life. It has to turn everything around. It can't be something you shove in your back pocket and carry on your life with. If, if, if God came down in the form of a baby and was placed in a manger, you know what? That changes everything. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at seven, we're going to look at seven Bible prophecies. Now, um, there's, there's about 300 Bible prophecies that deal with the birth of Jesus uh, in, in the Bible. We're going to look at seven of them tonight, right? And what we're going to do is we're, we're going to look at something that starts off real broad. You know, the first prophecy, well, you know what, that could be anyone. The second is going to be a little bit narrower. The third is going to be narrower still. And we're going to come to the place where <clears throat> we look at all our prophecies and, we, and it channels down to just one person. And we're only looking at seven. If I made you look at 300 prophecies this morning, we'd be here till tonight. We wouldn't even get to have our service tonight. <clears throat> but, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at these seven, and we're going to actually see something of what God was doing. Because you know what? The baby that was born in a manger wasn't an afterthought. The baby that was born in a manger was actually a plan way back from before time. God plans something marvelous. You know, when God plans, he plans big. And when God plans, time doesn't matter. God doesn't look at time and say, well, you know what, I've got to get that done in a week because I lose their interest. God can make a plan that has thousands of years attached to it. That's what this plan has. It has thousands of years that he's going to actually <clears throat> take to bring it about. But we need to come to the place where we look at this and we say in our hearts, yeah, he's the one. Jesus is the one. There's none other. He is the one. 
All right, so our first prophecy is this, uh, that he would be born of a woman. Now, we looked at this last week, so we'll only spend a few minutes on it here. Uh, Genesis 3.15, it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, you're Adam, and you're hearing this for the first time, right? Now, you know, pain in childbirth, we understand, don't we? Uh, thorns and thistles, we understand. That makes all makes sense. We can, you know, uh, he knew what that was going to mean. But there's this verse, and, and when God is speaking to the serpent, and he's saying, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman. Uh, now, what does that mean? Does that mean that all women are going to be serpent crushers? Uh, what's that talking about here? I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. What's, what's her seed got to do with it? Right? And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, obviously, a head bruise, a head wounding, and a and a uh, a heel wounding are different things here. There's something big going on. But in all honesty, if I was Adam, I wouldn't have understood. Oh, that means a baby's going to be born thousands of years from now, and a manger is going to fix this whole situation. But I would know this: there's something going on. There's a plan afoot here. There's something going on. I don't understand all that this means or all that this says. But there's definitely something going on. Now, you and I look back in hindsight, and we look, and yeah, we, we understand. You know, yeah, the seed of the woman, Jesus, went to the cross, got his heel bruised, and then he crushed Satan's head. We understand. Right? But when we go back this far, you know, the seed of the woman could have been anyone. But it's definitely speaking of something. It's speaking of God's plans. Now, we need to understand from God's plan, too. God doesn't throw out the whole plan to you all, all at once. He doesn't just, you know, even in your Bible reading, he, he, you know, he, 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 most books, if you're brainy enough, you could take the book and you could read the book and you could master the book. You could become an expert on the book if you studied it long enough and studied it hard enough. Because really, it's a matter of the book, the printed word, and your intellect connecting and actually uh, coming together. On the Bible's not like that. The Bible says this: no prophecy is any, of any private interpretation. The Spirit of God is involved in it, so that when you start reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates it for you, so that you read. He, you know. <clears throat> If we, if we put it in grades, right? We got first class to sixth class in Bible reading, right? Just just grades, right? Uh, but you know, when you're in first class, you read your Bible, and you know what? You read you read the ABCs, and they really impact you. And you say, "Wow, that's amazing," because that's what the Spirit of God needs to teach you. He's laying the basis, laying the foundation. And then you read something else the next year, and it's it's something that you read the last year, but you you didn't see. And then you read something new and it impacts you. And the Spirit of God is, is building a foundation. He's building a basis and he's teaching you from the Word of God. Now the same is true with prophecy. God doesn't throw it all out. He, he gives it to you piece by piece by piece. Now listen, you know, your plan or my plan, we put it all in a big volume, wouldn't we? Just hand it to people. But God waits for us to actually seek him. I think it's fascinating when we look at the book of Daniel, and Daniel is looking for God uh, to show him what's happening in the end times. Like, you know, he's, he's read stuff, and he sees bits here, and he sees bits there, but he can't quite put it all together. So he says, God, what's going to happen in the end times? 
And he begins to fast and pray and cry out to God. And an angel is sent and takes several uh, days to get there because you know, there's, a, there's a spiritual battle goes on. And he comes and he tells Daniel, you're a man greatly beloved. And God sent the answer from the time he heard your prayer. And he, he gives him Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel chapter 9 is rich and deep. And it gives us the plan for the end times. That's amazing. It's amazing. But you know what? <clears throat> that was in response to Daniel actually, Daniel actually uh, asking him. So that when you're looking at Scripture and understanding Scripture and understanding prophecy, it's not a case of, you know, you just kind of uh, taking what you want out of it and moving on. You've got to understand, no, God's involved in it. Whenever I pick up this to read it, God's involved. When you, when you get prophecy, God's involved. And what he's doing is, it's almost like sometimes he's teasing us with the prophecies. Because he's, he's given us a little bit here and a little bit there and trying to draw us into the place where we're interested in seeking him. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Do you know that it takes studying of the scripture? Do you know that it's not enough just to come to church on Sunday morning? Do you know that it's not enough just to read your Bible? Do you know you need to study your Bible? If you want to find the deep things, the rich things of God, you've got to actually take time in the Word. And, you know, you've got to interact. You and, the, you and the Lord, you and the Holy Spirit. Lord, what do you mean? Lord, I need to hear from you. Show me something. But that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to take and to understand. And what he does here uh, in Genesis 3.15 is he, he gives Adam and the, 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 the recorder of the book of Genesis, uh, the person who's going to write all, he gives them just a little nugget. Something's afoot. Okay, so there's been sin. There's a problem now with sin. The problem with sin is pretty drastic. You know, we've got all these issues and difficulties with sin. But there's something happening. Something in the future happening. There's going to be a seed of a woman, and <clears throat> you know what? She's going to actually bruise the serpent. She's going to bruise uh, his head. He's going, he's going to have problems. And what's happened is Satan's brought sin into the world. And God has laid out in just that verse how he's going to deal with it. But you wouldn't see all of it. You wouldn't understand it. It's quite broad as yet. Secondly, he says that it's going to be a descendant of Abraham. Matthew 1 1 says, uh, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, we won't look there, but in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham something. He says, Abraham, I am going to make you a blessing to all the world. Right now, how is Abraham being a blessing to all the world? The center of the world is at war forever because of Abraham. Abraham's two kids have been duking it out ever since. They've been going after it ever since. We've got all kinds of problems and difficulties uh, because of Abraham's kids. We have a refugee crisis. You know what's causing the refugee crisis? Abraham's kids. They are squabbling and they are fighting today. You know what's caused the problems in Israel? Abraham's kids. You know, <clears throat> how is Abraham going to be a blessing to all people? Well, the way he's going to be a blessing to all people is through the son that's going to be born. You see, we're taking a prophecy in Genesis 3, and then we're, we're catching another part of the picture uh, in, in Genesis chapter 12. You see, so, now the, the, the first one's real broad. Seed of the woman could be anybody. But when you make it a descendant of Abraham, now you've narrowed it down some. 
Right? We're, we're, we're kind of coming into a funnel now. We're coming into a funnel where it's getting, where it's getting you know, not everybody could fit this one. I, could, I couldn't fit this one. I couldn't have been the Savior because I'm not a son of Abraham in that sense. Uh, this, this one had to be a son of Abraham. He had to be somebody who was born uh, of the stock of Abraham. Then he would be from the tribe of Judah. Now we're narrowing it down again. Genesis 49 verse 10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now what it's saying there is that Judah, the tribe of Judah, that the Savior was going to be born of the tribe of Judah. Again, it's narrowing it down again. It's bringing it down closer, bringing it down still, still pretty wide. Yeah, that's thousands and thousands of people, but, it, but it's bringing it down uh, a, a, a little bit closer, uh, the prophecy that, the, the, that he would come from, <clears throat> from Judah. And then number four says he would be a descendant of David. Jeremiah 23, 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Right? Now, Jeremiah is written long after King David. Right? But he's going to raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And if you know anything about the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is written in a time when the nation of Israel are going into captivity. It's done. They're happy. It's happening. They're going into captivity. You know, <clears throat> but by the time the, the book has ended, they are in captivity. It's, it's, it's happening. And Jeremiah is writing and he's saying, but no, no, no. There's going to be a righteous branch of David. And we can follow the idea of a righteous branch of David through even into, into the book of Revelation. And it's talking about the Messiah. It's talking about the Savior. Right? So now, here's what we've got. We've got, he's going to be a seed of the woman. He's going to be from Abraham. He's going to be from Judah. And now he's going to be from David. David's going to be his father. It's getting now. It's getting closer. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're, what we've got is we've got prophecy uh, making, the, making it narrower, making it make, coming to the place where, you know what, <clears throat> the Savior is going to be born, but uh, it's not anybody that can, can be him. And then we have the fact that he's going to be announced by John the Baptist. Now, Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Malachi 3 verse 1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, all the Gospels testify that these two verses, in fact, some of the, 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 those verses in some of the Gospels are actually tied together. And um, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist's job was to actually go before Jesus and declare his way. When crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight uh, in the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist's job was to actually go out there. So whoever this was going to be, John the Baptist was going to be involved. He was going to have to be born first. And he was going to have to go and declare him. Uh, and declare his name and make a, uh, make a pathway for him uh, in the wilderness. And that's just what John the Baptist did. Now, now we're, getting, we're getting down to, it's getting pretty close. There aren't, there aren't many that can fit it now. It's getting narrower as we go along. Uh, number six is he would be born of a virgin. And by the way, let me, let me say this. Isaiah 7, 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the New Testament tells us that means God with us. <coughs> right? So... <clears throat> I say, it's written 700 years 
before the birth of Christ. Now, the, the people who was written to couldn't have understood it fully, but we do. We look at it. Now, you say, well, lots of virgins have babies, yeah? Uh, but it says a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. She was still a virgin when she bore him. Now, that's a miracle. That's an incredible miracle. And by the way, there's no way for you scripturally to take this verse uh, and make sense of it in any other context than meaning that a virgin would actually conceive and would bear a child while still a virgin. You know, <clears throat> but uh, what we have now is, you know, now it's getting narrower. There aren't many people that could honestly claim to be born of a virgin. In fact, there's only one. There's only one that could claim it. And in order for, <clears throat> uh, for Jesus to be seen as Jesus, he had to fulfill all of this. Now, isn't it interesting, the story uh, about the birth of Jesus? You know, Joseph, Joseph was a just man. What does he decide to do? He decides when he finds out she's pregnant. Yeah, she says, uh, with the Holy Spirit, but you know what? <clears throat> Pull the other one. And what, <clears throat> what's, he, what, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm just going to divorce her. This is a mess. I'm just going to divorce her. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to put her aside. and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be nice about it. I'll do it quietly because you know what? She should be stoned for what she did. But then all of a sudden, he has a dream and he changes his mind. And he raises what to all the world is going to be somebody else's baby. He knows. She knows. But he takes and he raises this baby because God told him. Because he knew what was going on here. But <clears throat> Jesus was going to be born of a virgin. We see the prophecy. One more prophecy and then we're going to tie it together, right? Uh, he would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Micah 5.2 says, But now Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of, from of old, from everlasting. That's a powerful verse there, folks. Right? By the way, do you know what? Anybody who had any savvy about Scripture in Jerusalem knew this verse. Any, any of the Israelites who, who were savvy about Scripture, they knew where the Messiah was to be born. You know that because when Herod goes inquiring, uh, because the wise men have told him there's a baby going to be king going to be born, Herod goes inquiring and they say, he says, well, where is he going to be born? They can say, oh, Bethlehem. They know. They understand. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. But look what it says. Whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. You know what? You can't say that about anybody. You can't say that. Well, listen, you can get pretty old in this world, but you can't say uh, that your goings forth have been from everlasting. You know, <clears throat> uh, Jesus didn't become God. He was always God. He became a baby. He, he, he became incarnate. He, be, he came down in human flesh. But what you've got is you've got a prophecy there that actually comes, and what that prophecy does is that prophecy says, you know what, <clears throat> uh, the Savior's going to be born in Bethlehem. Little village. Not far from Jerusalem. He's going to be born there. That, that's where he's going to be born. That's, that, 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 that's where his birth is going to be. The interesting thing for me is about the Pharisees is they knew he was going to be born there, but when all this came up with um, uh, <clears throat> with uh, Herod and, and they were told about the baby that had been born. You know what? Nobody was interested enough to actually go. 
Nobody was interested enough to actually make the, make the trip and go and find out uh, where he was. But right there in Bethlehem, Jesus was going to be born. He was going to be born in a little town not far from them. Now, what you're seeing there is you're, you're seeing this. You're seeing <clears throat> prophecy. And what the prophecy does is the prophecy kind of goes from a wide prophecy into a narrow, narrow thing. And you come to the place where, you know what? This is Jesus. This, this, this baby in the manger, this is what it's talking about. And when you actually say, yeah, this is, this is the one, what happens is everything falls into place as far as prophecy is concerned. And all of a sudden it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Scripture makes perfect sense. If you take the baby out of the manger, you know what? Scripture doesn't make sense. The great plan of God doesn't make sense. You know, God's plan, Abraham, doesn't make sense. Um, the covenants don't make sense. But when you put Jesus in the manger, you know what? All of it makes sense. Now, realistically, for everybody that was there, you know what? They could see. They knew some things. Some things were certain. Some things were hazy. Some things were sure. Some things were not quite so sure. But if they came to the manger and looked into the manger and said, yeah, he's the one. Everything fell into place for them. Everything, and, and the same is true for you too. Everything falls into place when you recognize that he's the one. Uh, <clears throat> now, like I said this, there are 300 different prophecies about the birth of the Savior, right? <clears throat> and a mathematician was asked, uh, when he investigated the question, uh, he, he was asked, what were the chances of them <clears throat> actually coming through? And he, he did this. He, he said, well, look, if we just take eight prophecies... And we look at those eight prophecies and we work out uh, what the chances of them coming through. He, he, he worked that out there. Uh, it's 1 in 10 to the power of 17, right? Now, that's the figure on the bottom. I'm not going to try and read it for you. Uh, I'm not even going to try and put a name on it for you, right? Uh, it's just a 1 with a lot, a lot of zeros on it, right? <clears throat> but what I'm going to do for you is this. I'm going to give you a picture of, of what it would look like. If you were to take two euro coins, right? And if you were to go to France... And if you were to cover France with two euro coins to a depth of two feet, right? And if you were, before you covered it, to mix one coin with a red mark on it in it and put that in the middle of it somewhere and say to somebody, now go find it, that's the same risk of you having eight prophecies that come out right we don't have eight. We have 300. We have prophecies that come out over and over and over again that show this is the one. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? They're just puzzled. They don't understand. You know, so, so Jesus comes and he walks alongside them and he talks to them along the way. And um, they, they, they say, what are you talking He says to them, what are you talking about? They say, oh, don't you know? Are you just a stranger? Have you not heard? And they explain to him about the fact that Jesus has been crucified the other day. And, and, um, and they say this. They say, but we had hoped uh, that he would be our Messiah effectively. We had hoped that he would be. And he turns to them and he says this. He says, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the scripture says. And he takes them back to Moses, which would be Genesis, and he walks them through the prophecies concerning himself until the light bulbs go on and they say, this is exactly what was supposed to happen. 
This is, this, this, this is what had to happen. Jesus had to go to the cross for all this to be true, for all this to come about. Uh, he had to. All of this had to happen. And he walks them through and he, he shows them the reality of the prophecy. And it becomes real to them. You know what? <clears throat> they had walked with Christ for years by this point. Three years, some of them. They had walked, but they didn't understand. And it's easy for us to do the same thing too, for us to go along with the flow, for us to say, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, that, well, that's fine. I mean, everybody else believes this term as well as well. Yeah, it says, it says that somewhere in the scripture. Yeah, the pastor said it last Sunday, you know. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's easy for me to actually, it's easy for you to come to the place where you just go along with the flow. But when you realize all the scripture that points to the manger and says, this is the one. He's the one. He's the one that the earth has been waiting for. He's the one that humanity has been waiting for. This is God come down in human flesh. This is God with us. This is a story no other religion would dare tell. God had a son, and he sent him to earth, and he was born in a manger about 2,000 years ago. And he was very God. And man didn't like him, so he crucified him. He was a problem for man. He got in the way. He was, he was an irritation. He was a, an upset in the whole apple cart of things. So, so man crucified him. But he was God. He was fully God. If you can come to the place where he's the one, it changes everything. You know... <clears throat> When John sent his disciples to find out from Jesus, Jesus could so easily have given him a list of the prophecies, but he didn't actually do that. You know what he did? He said, go tell John that the blind see and the lame walk, people are restored to health. Go tell John what you see. Go tell John the miracles you see around you. He sent him back uh, with that, and he went back, and I'm sure John was reassured um, by what he heard. You know, when we look around us, there's evidence of what Jesus did too, isn't there? There's evidence that shows that he's the one. Isn't there? Let me ask you, has your life changed since you got saved? Is your life different because of Jesus? Is your life different because of that baby that was born in a manger, that was placed in a manger? I'm sure it is. Some of you could give dramatic testimony of uh, <clears throat> how he's taken and turned your life around, how he's taken and changed everything in your life, how he's taken and, <clears throat> and, and done things in your life that were impossible. Couldn't you? you? You could give testimony to the fact that the babe, could not have been just a babe. That baby was God. And he's done incredible things in my life. Now let me close with this thought. If all that we're saying is true, and I believe it with all my heart, I would put my life on the line for this truth. If all that we're saying is true, then he is Lord and Master. 
He doesn't have to earn that title in your mind. He doesn't have to earn that place in your heart. He is Lord and Master. And there are two things that that has to mean for you. Right? First of all, you need to get saved. What are you going to do if you ignore all that God did to bring about this babe in a manger that was going to live and was going to die on a cross for your sin? What are you going to do if you say, yeah, nice story, but you know what? Keep it. I have my life. Listen, there's no hope. There's no rock you can hide under. There's no place you can go. Listen, if he is the one, then you've got to bow before him and get saved. There's no way around it. There's no, no, nothing else you can do. There's no other way to make your life work. There's no other hope for you eternally. If he's the one, you've got to come to him and get saved. You've got to come to him and bow before him. But if you are saved this morning... You know what? If he's the one, then you know what? You need to bow before him as Lord of your life. You know, <clears throat> I wish we did, but oftentimes we don't. When we come to the point of salvation, we, we don't make Jesus Lord of our lives. We take the insurance policy and we, we, we hold on to the insurance policy, fire insurance, I'm not going to hell. And that's really all it means to us. But if you begin to consider all that God did to put the baby in a manger. If you begin to consider all that God has done because he loved you, the only possible response to it is, he is Lord. And you bow before him. And you let him be Lord in your life. You know, <clears throat> Paul quotes uh, Jesus saying, why call ye me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. Isn't it easy for us to call him Lord, Lord? Isn't it easy for us to come and kneel in our hearts before him and not do what he tells us to do? If God took from Genesis chapter 3 and worked out a plan, a program, and narrowed it down and revealed and narrowed and revealed and narrowed till we come to the place where in the Manger, there's a baby who is God, who came for you, who came to seek and to save, who came to die for you, and he is Lord and God. How can we do anything but bow before him and do whatever he wants us to do? Listen, don't get carried away with the baby. Understand, the baby is the plan of the ages, and the baby is... Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords, bow before him in salvation. And if you are saved, bow before him and do his will. That's the only reasonable response to make him Lord. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this people. Thank you, Lord, for <clears throat> Lord a plan that is so far-reaching, Lord, that comes to the place where, Lord, we have a baby in a manger that can only be you, can only be God incarnate in human flesh. Now, Lord, we ask you today, Lord, would you work in our hearts, Lord? May this Christmas not be a time when we remember a baby. May it not be a time when we get carried away with the cuteness, but may it be a time when the reality, Lord, 
of your power, of your love and your great plan, come to reside in our hearts, Lord, and we yield to you and let you have your way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you, do you need to be saved this morning? Do you need to be born again? Do you need to come to the place where you bow before Jesus Christ and make him your Savior? If you need that, we'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can do it. You know, the Bible says if you, if you reject Christ as your Savior, there is no place else you can go but hell. What a terrible thought. If you're here this morning and you want someone to take the Bible and show you how you can be sure you're going to heaven, would you just lift your hand so I can pray for you? Nobody else is looking. Just lift your hand so I can pray for you. Anybody at all? All right, let me ask you one other question. <clears throat> you're here this morning and you would say, you know what? I need to make him Lord of my life. I need to yield to him and let him have his rightful place. Would you lift your hands so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. See those hands? Amen. Amen. Are there others? You can put them down. Anybody else? Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for working in our hearts and lives. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us with understanding of your word and understanding of your plan. And, oh, Lord, we thank you for loving us uh, in such a way that you would send your son to die for us. Lord, <clears throat> may each one that's gathered in this room, Lord, come to genuinely know you as Savior. Uh, Lord, that, that, that each heart might be touched by you, that they might be drawn to you. And, oh, Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, may we indeed make you Lord of our lives. May we accept your will and your way as all that we need and all that we want. In Jesus' precious name, 